going hot. All right, guys, welcome back to the next episode of the Going Hot Podcast with Caleb Shaw. We are super excited. Man, we've been blessed. We've had my brother, we have Jack Carr, and I might quite possibly be the most excited for this one. Right now in studio, we've got jujitsu practitioner, Ultimate Fighter alumni, stuntman, actor, and all-around good guy, Tate Fletcher. Thank you, brother. I uh, I really appreciate you being here, man. This is something you didn't have to do that you did to just be kind, and I appreciate you for that, man. I know you're, you've got a lot of things going on in life and a, 10 other things I'm you could be doing. I'm going to get a free dinner out of it. This is I mean, true. I mean, it, it did cost me a dinner, but you know what? It's money well spent, my brother. Yeah, man, and it's a pleasure to be here. This is all, like... Being in conversation about people that are thinking about, uh, you know, their higher selves and, and self-development and, like, that are eager and, cre- like, curious, you know, is the, it's the best place to be, you know. And, and being in the, uh, you know, with Jared and Jack is, I mean, that's tremendous. Like, You're a good uh, company. I mean, good, good you know, company. I, I am probably Jared's biggest yeah. fan. I, I say yeah. it all the time. But um, for those that don't know, Jared's my little brother, you know, and he uh, He's my little brother, but he always leads from the front, and and he's he's been that way since we were kids, you know. Yeah. And and I know you and him met originally, and it was that's where we met. You was on the set of Jurassic World in Hawaii. Yeah. I don't even know what year that was, but it uh even then, like here comes this big huge dude walking out of the hotel, and it was like I recognized you and Keith uh, yeah. Jardine from early because I'm a fan of UFC and Ultimate Fighter and all those things, and. And I recognized you, and I was a little intimidated because you were a large man and and big dude walking up, and you were just so kind, man, and you were so cool, and you made us feel just welcome, you know, right out the gate, and you were kind to my mom, and and it was just one of those things. And over the years, Jared has consistently told me how your friendship to him matters. And like I told you on the way over here is the thing that he said always stuck out to him was your kindness and how you just you went above and beyond above and beyond to be kind to people when you didn't have to be and it was a choice that you made to be kind and i'm just grateful for that and i know he was grateful for that and and so i just want to lead with and open this whole deal up with a giant thank you thanks, man man thank you and so yes yeah. sir and and you know you mentioned that longevity and and going places and you know we started talking a couple of years ago about doing this show and and coming on and back then i had all these different questions and all these things i wanted to ask you as I've gotten a little older and hopefully a little wiser and, and all of this, my paradigm has kind of shifted a little bit to, you know, at first I wanted to get in here and I wanted to know all about the martial arts and I still do. We're going to get there and, and all of those things. But now, man, I'm really interested in how much you're bringing to the table on helping other people and learning from things in your own life to help and inspire other people that may be struggling with things and going through things. And, um, and we're going to get to it cause I want to start all the way back at the beginning, but you know, I, I, I appreciate that you use your platform for good and you use your platform to help others. And, and it means something. And we need people like that in the world that are, are willing to be kind. And in, in a world full of ugly right now, I just, again, I'm, I'm looping back to my point, but I appreciate yeah. the kindness that, that you've shown me and, and shown my brother and shown all those people in your world, man. You, you do a good job with that. And so Thanks. Um, you're welcome. And, and on that note, I want to roll it all the way back to the beginning now. Where did you grow up at? I grew up in Alpena, Michigan. Is that a big city or a little no, city? Tiny, 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 tiny town surrounded by farmland and woods. Did so, you have, like Jared, for example, yeah. we kind of knew Jared was going to do things even when he was young because <laughs> dude was a fireball, you know, like he, he had it. I don't know how to explain sure. it better than that, but I just knew that Jared was going to do something in life. He was going to accomplish things because even at a young age, 
he was extremely driven and and he didn't let barricades or things stand in his way and he always found a way to go through them over them all those was that kind of you as a kid or like me it took me kind of years to pull my head out of my rear end and kind of figure things out and, and not be a dirtbag sometimes. You know, I was never a bad dude, but I was never living up to my full potential on what I could have been. Oh, well, who does? You know, and yeah, you're right. But, <laughs> you know, and, and but, you know, I just, like I said, it took me years and years and years to figure it out and to kind of, I'm still figuring out. Like, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up, you know, but. One, one of my mentors says to me, uh, I want to be a seasoned beginner. Man. And that is the thing, you know, just to slow down and be a seasoned beginner. Like, where is it that I can have open eyes, a curiosity, and a childlike uh, view at things where I can get a faith that even though the reality is telling me that'll be too difficult or too much, that I can go ahead and endeavor things. And, and I like that. Like, even if I'm going over the same material again, what, what did I miss last time? How can I be new? And so I think when you say, oh, I, I, I want to keep doing that, it's like, yeah, that's to me, that's a lifetime job. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't... You don't stop learning. You know, you start start to decay. You know, and it's funny because when I was young, I thought I knew everything. Mm. And as I've gotten older, I'm much more of a student now than I was when I should have been listening the, the sure. most. But now it's like you said, I wake up every day and it's, I realize like I, I'm blessed to experience life and what can I do to make it better? Yeah. And and instead of thinking I know it all, I wake up with just questions and questions and questions and and realize I don't know much of anything you know how wasted it is to go to college when you're 18 like you should probably go and have that minimum wage job or whatever pound nails or whatever lay cement for five or ten years and then maybe when you're in your 30s you'll be settled down enough to be able to really because like who really gets all the juice that they can get out of being educated like the education is lost on a lot of people because it's you got different interests and you're not there yet you know and I I agree with you like college is one of those things that's shove down your throat from that you have to go to college you have to go to college mm-hmm. i don't necessarily buy that you know like i we have all these trade school there's so many different things where people can apply well, themselves now it's really different yeah absolutely you know I mean? and I mean, the internet changed all that and and the, and we've got a bunch of people now that i would argue don't know how to do anything we don't have you know we have a lack of electricians we have a lack of plumbers we have yep. and a lot of these people you're right they could when we're young and stupid, we could be out hammering and learning these experiences and sharpening that knife yep. instead of having to do it in our 30s, 40s, 50s. And, and, and now school, I mean, frankly, is like, you know, you look who funds schools and it's usually like big pharma, huge corporations that fund schools. And so they have an agenda and then, then knowledge becomes based upon what their best interests are. What the agenda are, is. Right? Yes, and so, sir. I, you know, it's tough to trust much coming out of school anymore. Well, and I, I have grown to enjoy not trusting things i've almost become a conspiracy theorist the older i get i just question everything now because if it doesn't look right and it doesn't feel right it probably isn't and i'm finding out that like my diet all these things that i was told my whole life you need Mm. to eat this you need to eat that you need most of it was wrong Mm. you know and and now we're we're trying we eat paleo now we you know we we're doing all these different things that they told us was bad for you and 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 turns out it's probably saving our lives or extending it and FDA is not going to get behind that. You know, all, all these, no, I, mean, I think I, they like to keep you sick. That's, I mean, when I, what, that's what I saw anyway. That's my experience in, in, in America is that they give us, the FDA gives us a food triangle when I'm a kid in the eighties. And, uh, and the bottom of it is like, they want 12 to 14 servings of, of, uh, bread or, or, um, grains. Right. And, and very small amount of meat and poultry and, and, and vegetables. And, and it gets smaller and smaller as you get towards denser macronutrients. And so, 
like, why was that? And I, I never understood it except like later, 20 years later, I'm unwinding it all uh, as an athlete and trying to get the most optimum performance out of my body. And you go, oh, all these things are clogging you up in, in ways that you didn't know. Also, what happened then, and well, also, so what happened then was it was the death of um, rotation farming, and it was the beginning of big corporate farming. And so then there were subsidies, and then you mixed up Wall Street with our food. And so then you have corn subsidies where the government is paying money to farmers to mm -hmm. not grow or to only grow corn. And then we have a surplus of corn, and then we have high fructose corn syrup, and we start seeing what all the, and so plast, everything is made of corn. Now and and so and you see the endeavors of Wall Street to change our diet and those aren't nutritionists those are people concerned with the mm -hmm. bottom line and then they're also concerned with big pharma and medicine and if I can sell you medicine or if I can make you sick so if I can get you to eat twelve to fourteen uh, servings of bread a day I can almost ensure that a large swath of our population is going to have diabetes and then I can sell you statins and stuff in the nineties. Mm -hmm. And so there's this long game that's been going on, I think between our, you know, this corporatocracy that we're under, we don't have a government. We have a shadow of a government that's in the shadow of corporations that have paid for every politicians that's sitting in a seat anywhere. And I think after you get maybe past governor, it's, it's like that everywhere. I mean, those people got bodies on them. And so when you see the game like that, you know, that I started a podcast a long time ago that I stopped when I hurt myself, but it's called Pirate Life. And the idea was to pirate your life back from these people that are trying to take your attention and take your diet, take your health and direct you into a, a column that they can get paid from. And so when I noticed I was a commodity, I was like, how do I own my life? How do I become an autonomous human? And how do I step back from the narrative to even have a view enough to where I go, oh, they're they're trying to twist you into a way of thinking. And you start to see that. I mean, and I'm seeing that in the 90s. I'm seeing that a long time ago. And then you look at what's happening right now. The weird thing that's happening right now, though, is like my daughter, for instance, doesn't know she's in the matrix because she's not, she's not from the skin world. Mm -hmm. She's from a digital world. And so that's a whole different kind of, I mean, yeah, this goes way off topic, but it's like, it's a deep, it's a, like, I'm, we're all deeply touched by this. And some people are aware of it and some people are reticent to believe it because it's terrifying. It's a terrifying idea that you're a dollar sign to your government as opposed to a citizen that ought to be getting offered the, the niceties and the safeties that a government can have. But, I mean, clearly we don't have any of that right now. And despite the fact that, you know, we, we almost have to power the world right here in mm -hmm. our phones, to find truth is such a hard deal because those agendas, all those things that you're are piled on. This tries to train me instantly. If I say... I think whoever you vote for is maybe voting for the same person because the same puppeteer holds both parties, mm -hmm. right? Yes, sir. I go from thousands or tens of thousands of people that view that to 42. Mm -hmm. And so they're instantly in trying to slap your hand in real time and say, don't talk about that publicly. Yeah. And that's a private corporation mm -hmm. that's doing that, right? It's, yes, sir. Um, my friend Mark Bell, he used to have a thing called PowerCast. And he's a meathead weightlifter that talks about health, nutrition, and all, all this kind of stuff and talks about how maybe, you know, McDonald's might be trying to kill you, et cetera, et cetera. And they just dro dropped him off YouTube. Yeah. He doesn't, it's not controversial, his thing, but they're like, nope. And so that's, his money is gone from that. I mean, he's got money from other places, but it's like, this is a dicey time, depending on how you feel about whatever topic we all talk about freedom of speech and all that, that we don't have, that's silenced all the time in every kind of realm. And if I don't have, and, and, and which sounds, can sound however to anybody, but the fact that nobody can deny is that if we don't have discourse over a topic, we don't get better ideas. Mm -hmm. If you don't have an opinion that I disagree with 
and then you give me your best ideas, and then I counter them with this. We both get to a higher level of understanding, and maybe we can find truth in there. Mm-hmm. But if we both are under the delusion that we're coming with truth, maybe we don't get anywhere, you know? Right. And, and if I've gotten this old and gone, oh, I've been so wrong before when I was young, i got to consider that maybe what I think is wrong right now, and in this river we're in, it's a ever-growing conversation about what's right now in this moment because the, the answer for today is different than yesterday's right. answer. Well, you know, and, and I don't know the specifics of it, but I know like Dana White, for example, they came and told him he had not very long to live. Like, hey, your days are numbered. Oh, is that right? Yeah, they, they, here recently they came out and this, they diagnosed him, and, and I don't remember the exact time frame, but it was brief. Like, you've got a couple of years to live. And he was shocked by that. I would imagine then, he has a lot of hypertension. Well, you know, yeah, I he's can see very, that. And he's, he, that he's dude tuned up. probably lives at like a 15 all yep, the time, you know. Yep. And and they basically <laughs> told him, your lifestyle has caught up with you. You're done, you know. And and he went and I wish I could remember the doctor's name. Anybody watching this will probably know. But he went and saw that guy. And he's like, I will never go to a medical, a straight medical doctor again. He said, you know, I, I'm not saying if I, you know, if I need a toothache or a tooth fix, I won't go see a dentist. Yeah. But he's like, you see Dana White now? He's jacked. And and they changed his life, and they did it through diet, exercise, but not the traditional stuff. They, what the world would call weird stuff, you know? He and got his blood work done, and they... Uh, is it Dr. Mar- oh, I just started... Okay, so his podcast is called The Ultimate Human Podcast. Gary Brecka. That's it. That's the one. Yeah, and so I just, I just saw that the other day, and I was like, oh, right on, man, because... Because that's what I'm interested in, too, is like, where is actual true longevity? I'm, I'm grateful for Western medicine. If I get in a car accident, if I, my, my spleen is ripped in half, yeah, I want to get work done like Absolutely. that. Do I want to go, like right now, just the other day, it went into effect where they don't have to, um, if it's not so-called life-threatening or something like that, that they've just said that doctors don't need to disclose to you what they're doing to you, like, which is insane yeah that's insane you think about that all the way through and and that's changed in our lifetime right when i was a kid you would go to a doctor and they would say hey here's the options here's what's Mm -hmm. wrong with you we think and here's the options of what you can do with that and now ever since covid they say here's what you're going to do Mm -hmm. and they treat you like you're an asshole if you have any questions about that as if they're a god of some kind and then you think about who doctors are Mm -hmm. who are doctors everybody went to school and you know doctors those are the people that wanted to get the right answer for the teacher. Yep. It wasn't that they wanted the right answer. It's not that they wanted to be free thinking. They wanted to have the right answer so that the society that was in charge of them could say, you're a good boy or girl, mm-hmm. right? And that's, and man, to me, that's not, a, I need a revolutionary as a doctor because I need different answers than what they're giving me. You know, they're telling me that, uh, that, that meats will cause cancer or that, uh, you know, that you, you're going to uh, be fine if you take statins. And it's like, well, we know that both of those things, to not have animal cholesterol in your body and to lessen your cholesterol through statins will give you dementia. We know that. Mm-hmm. But there is no corollary between um, heart disease and, and red meats. But that's weird that they put that out there mm-hmm. unless going back to the corporations, they're <laughs> trying to make it. You know, I mean, it's just the spiral that we're in. Yeah. And if you haven't been paying attention for the last five decades, you don't know what I'm talking about probably. But keep paying attention and you'll see. Well, try to go buy raw milk, for example. Right. Like, you know, we like to buy our meat. Those storm farmers. Our, yeah, and we like to buy our meats, our eggs, all that stuff from the farmer's market and, and all of that. And my wife, we use very little dairy, but what we do, if it's not almond milk, we like, like to use raw milk mm-hmm. or, and you can't get that here because the government won't allow it. You got to go through all this stuff. Even in Texas? Be, even in Texas, you know, so and, weird. and, it, and it's, it's, 
it's government, you know, and, yeah. and it's all this stuff that yeah. makes it weird. And, and you, you find out that you're, you're poisoning your body under the assumption that you're bringing good health. Right. And most of these doctors, they learn to give you this pill or they learn to do this, but what's on the front side of that? Like, I like the preventative right. side, you know, could I, am I allergic to the grass? If I stop mowing my yard, can I fix the problem or, you know, but instead it's like, no, just take this pill to relieve that. And, and there's yeah. nothing done to change the lifestyle or to, the underlying causes. That they don't want that. They want you to be on pills, right? I, I, I work with a lot of, like, last gasp, uh, people that are trying to get in recovery, alcoholics and drug addicts and stuff like that. And um, and they're giving them a, a cocktail now of naltrexone, uh, gabapentin, and uh, a third one that's an antidepressant. I forget what the name was right now. But they're giving drugs to people to get off drugs. They're, they're, they're saying, here's Suboxone, which is like a new, a new methadone. Um, and the fact is, is that nobody will ever get clean with that because you're always going to be Swapping taking one for another. And so I know this about going back to like, to personalize, how, you know, what, so what do I do? Yeah, there's going to be clamors that are in the world that are going to be horrific or distasteful or whatever to everybody, no matter if you're on, if you see things how I see them or if you see them the oppositional way, what, there's always that. And so how do I take it back to myself of, of wellness? And if I'm looking for something that's outside of me to make me whole, I'm looking in the wrong place, right? Mm -hmm. It's like when, I mean, I work with guys sometimes and I would go, I hope you get all the women and all the cars and all the everything that you want in spades so you can see that's not what you lack, mm -hmm. right? Our soul has a different desire than people talk about. It's not in pop culture. It's not on Instagram, you know? And, and, and these are the kinds of things. What would it be like to own myself, to have wholeness, to where I really stood up straight and had an answer for, for how I was living that wasn't stepping on your toes and that I didn't, you know, that I had healthy boundaries so that you're not stepping on mine. And, and what does that look like? And that, well, that looks like freedom. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So how free do you want to be? And if I'm always looking for things out here, like they gave me pills when I was a kid, I was on Zola for a while and then Wellbutrin and, uh, and I got, um, into trouble and I got separated from those pills and that was a crazy withdrawal for me. And my mind, I, I lost my mind a little bit for a few days and it was a, wasn't great. And, and I thought I never, if I'm in the woods, I don't ever want to be needing something to feel like Tate. Right. I want to be able to be whole. Yes, sir. And so at, at that point I was in my, uh, mid twenties, I guess. And I just started looking towards that and going, what would, what would wholeness look like? What would real freedom look like? That I was okay. No matter if I was naked, standing wherever I'm, I'm going to be sound and I can go ahead and I can get food and I can move forward in life. And like, that's the same thing now is what I look towards is like, what is it that, what is it that I can do that makes my community useful? If I, my first concern is my own self-development and then secondarily, how is it that I can be helpful to those guys coming behind me? You know what I mean? And I learned that from elders, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So I got a hand over here and a hand over here and I, that's the only place I really feel safe or comfortable is if I'm in that position, because that's a position that's locked in with my spirit and with what I think that the universe would want me to be. I feel like I'm in alignment then. You know, whereas other ways I feel dislocated, you know? Well, like, and, and, and in the lifestyle that you live with jujitsu and other things, I would argue that you're able to put yourself around people that look and seek a, sure. a similar lifestyle. You know, sure. people that, that don't train or whatever, they I can get being intimidated by driving by a gym and looking in and seeing a bunch of people choking each other and trying to break that. on. And it, it's spooky from the outside. Yep. But when you walk in there, you find out it's completely different. And a lot of times you'll find... All of these individuals that are doing just what you said and just what I'm trying to do is we want to be the best versions of ourselves. We right. want to seek that truth and find the ways to sculpt our minds and our bodies and our and our 
our kindness and health to other people as well. Where, where else do you attack your ego in ways that are like that? Most people don't look into themselves and into their faults or this or that. In jujitsu, your faults get exposed instantly and you have to deal with it. And sometimes it's because a 14-year-old girl has an arm wrapped around your neck and you're mm -hmm. choking because you made a mistake. And you're going to have to deal with that. A 14-year-old girl just killed you if you guys are in the woods, mm -hmm. right? That's that's what just happened. And so you got to go ahead and go, I guess I didn't know as much as I thought I knew or whatever it is. But those people in those environments are the kindest people that you'll ever meet in your life because everybody knows where everybody else is at. And mm -hmm. nobody is trying to, you know, be somebody that they're not because it's the, the mat doesn't have any lies. There's only truth on the mat. Yeah. You know? And, and I'll tell you, the, the I got out of the military and... I don't even know why I thought this, but I, I, I got out. I was young, cocky, thought I could fight, thought all these things until I walked into a jujitsu gym. And then they said, you know, here's your rear end. And they, they gift wrapped it for me. And, and yep. I, I think one of the guys was like ordering lunch with somebody while he was talking to me. And he had about 40, 50 pounds less than, than I was. And I, it, it floored me. You know, I, I couldn't believe that another adult while I was actively resisting could order lunch while they were folding me up, you know? And, and, it was like an instant deal where like I have to go back. And at first it was a pride thing. Like my pride had been humbled. I, I thought I could fight. I got whipped by a dude half my size. And, it, and at first it was kind of a pride thing. And you're right. Jiu-jitsu brings everything to the surface. You know, your, yep. your weaknesses, your insecurities, all those things. Like the mats don't lie. It's just you're right. And, and you slap hands with another guy and you start rolling. You know inside of a couple minutes what type of man this is. Absolutely. You know, you know if he's vindictive. You know if he's kind. You know if he's measured and understanding. I mean, you can tell so much in that interaction. You know, I'll tell you, I, I went through a bout where I started jujitsu. Like a lot of people do, you start, you have that first year where you're eager. Then you get a little injury. Then all of a sudden, two years pass. And you go back, and you go back and okay. forth. Well, I kind of started struggling. I, I rolled with a big guy one day, and, and I called it the coffin, man. He had my legs panting, like full mount, just and. I freaked on the inside. Like I saw, mm -hmm. not the I saw red. I'm gonna kill everybody, but I like panicked, yep. fear, and and it was like a and then and then your fear. body turns on you and you can't breathe. And and I, yeah. it was to the point where as I was getting folded, which I had gotten folded a thousand times at jujitsu, but the breakdowns like an emote like as it was happening, like I felt myself like about to cry, about to break down, yeah. and about all these things. And I and I heard this voice in my head saying, "Leave." You don't belong here. This isn't for you. Like your days are done. Like you're too old. You're too whatever. Yeah. And I stood up and I walked over to my coach and I said, Hey coach, I, I think I'm done. And he was like, well, man, if you got to cut it. And I was like, no, I think I'm done with jujitsu. Right. And he looked at me all confused and he's like, what? You? And I was trying to hold it together and not have a, an emotional breakdown. Right. And I, I got out, I got to my truck and I ugly tried, cried on the way home. And I don't know where it came from. And it was like all this emotion. And then for like a year and a half, two cool. years, I fed this demon in my head of fear and cost. And yeah, that's the devil I was, talking I to was you scared sure. to go back to jujitsu, yeah. and I created this monster of claustrophobia and fear in my mind that I fed and I allowed to to just grow and fester, and it kept me off the mats for a long time. And then finally, I was like, you know, Jared, my brother started. He, he's, hey, I'm ready to go back to jujitsu. All these things, and I'm like, you know. I'm just gonna go up and I'm gonna talk to my coach and a couple other guys. And I just, I had to leave my pride at the door and say, look, this sounds ridiculous, but I'm scared. I'm scared of claustrophobia. Yep. I don't know why it's affecting me, but it yep. is, and it's ruining. And you, and I expected like jokes or laughter or something. And they no, said, they get it. hey man, let's work through it. Yep. Why don't you start on top from here on out? Let's put you with somebody smaller for a little while. Yep. And and they, instead of laughing at me, instead of any of those things, they said, man, we're a team. Let's work yep. through this. And, and kudos now, to you for going through. 
Because that is terrifying. Yes, sir. And most people turn their back on it when that call comes to them. Well, and that's tremendous. Well, thank you. You know, I, I have a wife that supports me, and I have a brother that I brag about. You know, I have two great brothers and a great family, but I, it was a combination of them and 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 the team. You know, the, yeah. they they said, lay those weaknesses, lay yeah. those things at the door, man. Come in here. Let's sharpen you. Iron sharpens yeah. iron. Let's make you stronger. And it's... It's yeah. weird to try to explain all that to somebody that doesn't train, but like you're like, dude, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And that's one of those things like I, I try to share with people like the jujitsu is so much more than choking each other or do like it. That's the fun part. Places in a weird way. that are good that have a culture and a standard. My friend has a weightlifting gym called Deuce Gym, and he's a jujitsu also, but like uh, jujitsu gyms have this culture and, and, the people that have a culture, it's, it's a self-development of your whole self, of your intellect, of your emotional self, of your physical self, and your spiritual self. And it's happening, and people don't even know it. It looks like weightlifting. Mm -hmm. It looks like arm bars and choking. But if you stick around long enough, you see that it's a whole different thing. It's a real holistic path, mm -hmm. and it becomes a lifestyle. And that's why, you know, you always... Like jujitsu guys are some of the coolest guys in the world mm -hmm. that is that are that maybe didn't come that way, mm -hmm. but they get molded into that way because the culture won't allow for anything else. You need to be cool or you won't stick yeah. around. Yeah, nobody's gonna. Yeah, you're right. When was that the first martial art you started? Was jujitsu? No, I started uh, doing uh, Krabi Kabrong, which is a, a Thai uh, stick fighting. It's kind of the outset of Muay Thai. And my coach Arlen Sanford, um, he's a real friendly gorilla. And uh, he's a carpenter, and he makes doors, and he's, he's a beautiful carpenter, and forearms like logs and all that, and a big smile always. You want to fight? Yeah. And just like <laughs> excited, right? One of those right? guys that loves it. And he wanted to teach Isaac and me. Uh, uh, Isaac fought for the UFC, too, for a while, Isaac Valley Flag, and, and uh, he come out from Michigan, live with me in New Mexico. And so we met Arlen there, and Arlen was a stick fighter. He was one of the founding members of a group called the Dog Brothers. And the Dog Brothers uh, uh, martial arts was uh, uh, full contact stick fighting with no armor. And so you'd have like uh, uh, batting gloves on or like street hockey gloves and a fencing mask and that's it. And, and so it came out of like, let's see what's true. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're all armored, we don't know what truth is. But, and so that became the first uh, organized fights that I did. And then that would go to the ground. And then I started to get interested in jujitsu. Was this before, like, uh, on a calendar, if you could line it up? Yeah. Because I know everything kind of changed when UFC hit, you know, like, because there was all the This was the dark arts. years. Okay. Well, so the UFC hit, like, I think, 94, right? Yeah, something like that. And then, like, 96, they were out of business. They went bankrupt in right. 96, 97. And then this, so this was probably in 98, 99, 2000 with stick fights. And, uh, so it was still kind of underground and, and all that. Yeah. started. And then after, you know, I'd travel all over the, the world to do jiu-jitsu tournaments and to do submission grappling tournaments. And then these fights are popping up on Indian reservations. So I live in New Mexico, and so I'd see, like, King of the Cage and different uh, things come through. And I was like, man, I want to do that. And my coach is like, when you get a purple belt, you'll be able to. I said, all right. And uh, so we wait, and then, then I hear... And I don't know what year it was. It was whenever the first Ultimate Fighter was. And one of my teammates, Diego Sanchez, is going to go to the Ultimate Fighter. And I was like, what's this? Oh, he's going to do this thing. It's on TV. It's on this new channel, Spike, that was like a startup. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. Startup at yes, the sir. time, you know. And so that was like the second wave of the UFC. That was after the UFC had been bought by the Fertitta brothers. Right. And so Dana White was a promoter. He was a, actually a boxer, an amateur boxer out of Boston. 
then became a fight promoter, or not a fight promoter, uh, a manager to Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell. He mm-hmm. met those guys and was fans. And so he wrote their contracts against the first UFC, which was owned by a company called SEG. Uh, and and then he ended up having to honor those contracts because the Fertitas bought the UFC, and then they had them on their roster. And so Dana ended up becoming the CEO of, of you know, what, what, what needed to happen was a couple billionaires that owned the Frontier Casinos all through uh, Vegas, Nevada. Um, they, uh, they were fight fans, and they're like, let's keep this thing going. And so they lost money for years putting it on and then they got this deal going he's like we need more audience we can so that and that was the year bud what you know people won't know but budweiser had a campaign against the oc um, yeah there were several politicians uh, that were out like you know this is human cockfighting and all that and all that trying that, to shut it down and that was because uh the dude he's a uh, goddamn war hero too He's uh, the the, um, the died that uh, he was a POW for yeah, McCain. Was yeah, McCain? Yeah, 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 yeah. And his his wife was on the board for uh, like World Boxing Association or one of the boxing things, which were sponsored by Budweiser. And so she saw that this was an encroachment on their sport, and so that's why they went after a political witch. That's where all, all the money. All that, it you know, always is. Always, it's never somebody's like higher moral values. And and I remember doing that, and I I think it was season one. Is that when Stephen Bonner and and Forrest Griffin yep, had theirs? Right. And because I remember then, I was watching that Diego, live. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, and and so and I I feel like that was like kind of when it turned a corner the second time a little bit was yep. was during because a lot of my knuckleheaded friends that weren't watching at the time about the second round you the third round fight like we that. Were, and we're like, dude, oh. switch over to Spike. Like this thing is going, and yeah. then it just felt like, all right, the Rockets are lit now. Let's go, yeah. you know, and and it. And it took off, but I still was so stupid that all I did was watch it on TV for years and years and years yeah. and, and not train, not do anything yeah. and all that stuff. And I thought that I had watched enough UFC that I could fight like a lot of sure. knuckleheads. And then I, I, I said, I've seen a lot of those guys come in the gym. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, I, I guess I'm, so you started that young. How does that go? Like, I mean, that had to be, is it because you were at this gym with all these guys? Like, cause you were at Wink, uh, or, uh, and Santa Fe, I was up or, in Santa Fe, and Wink and uh, uh, Greg Jackson were down in Albuquerque. But that's where um, a guy named Alberto Crane, he who fell in love with jiu-jitsu before because a guy named Amal Easton, who owns Easton Gyms all through Colorado, and he's a, he's a, a black belt from um, uh, the Gracie family, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, you know, that became like – and so then – so he meets he, – they're both from Santa Fe, Amal and Albert. And um, and Amal's from Henzo Gracie Academy is who his his teacher is, and Alberto went down. He became a student of Dracolino. Dracolino's got a place now in Houston, and um, and Dracolino had killers uh, under him in Bella's Ranch. Uh, and so I went down there in like 2000 as a blue belt, and um, we uh, we fought in the Mondials at the Tajuka Tennis Court. Now they have them in different places. It's like really a place of history that doesn't exist anymore. But you you'd see like um. You know, Vanderlei Silva would be there. You'd see Mario Sperry there. You'd see all these legends that that um, Minotaur and Minotauro. They were they, they those brothers would be there, and uh, and then we're just out there, you know, trying to armbar and get armbarred and all that, and and um, that became um, the beginning of jujitsu in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Alberto came back and started training guys, you know, in like '99, and so that school still runs. He doesn't run anymore. He runs a place called Legacy out in uh, LA and then um, and then I, I moved to LA while he was still there and I started training under uh, Professor Eddie Bravo 
and Eddie Bravo. Um, 10th Planet? His 10th Planet, which was all Nogi. And he's he's also from Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. He's from the lineage of Jean-Jacques Machado. And um, and so he just went Nogi with it. And he was, you know, he's famous. Um, you know, his his big accomplishments are that he beat Hoyler Gracie and not just beat him. He choked him to sleep. Not to sleep. He choked him to tap. Mm-hmm. And and uh, nobody had, why that's significant is because nobody had ever even scored a point on Hoyler in all the other years at ADCC. And so at this Abu Dhabi uh, championship, which was the first paid grappling tournament that existed, was it was because of Sheikh Danhun uh, Oda Abu Dhabi was a fan of grappling, and he wanted all these fantastic athletes to make money from it. And so he would have all the best of the best, sambo and wrestlers and all that come to Abu Dhabi. And anyway, they had it in Brazil that year, and, and Eddie had success. Um, and then he ended up with, a, I think it was like a 10-year-later competition against Hoyler also where uh, it was uh, it was uh, fantastic every time, and so just the efficacy of his sport and art grew. So that became my my uh, my uh, my sensei was uh, was Eddie for all those years from purple belt on. Was there any resentment? Did he face any all the backlash? Well, I, for going nogi because I know traditional jujitsu, and, and then he had a card that said Gracie Killer for a while or something like that, and so then like and Hyen Gracie was alive back then, and Hyen was a mad dog like. His Henzo's brother, and, and he is younger, and he is, and he was he was uh, savage. Anyway, even even so much so that uh, Hoist Gracie at Metamoris, where Eddie and Hoyler competed again, and, and Hoyler is maybe the finest technician out of the Gracie family, like a really tremendous athlete and, and maestro. Um, anyway, after that. Eddie was outside, and it was so exhausting that Eddie's throwing up in, in, in the parking lot, and Hoist is like, hey, we, we can go next, and all this. And it's like, there, so there's a, long, there's a lot of resentment there for, for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. And, and, I would, and did some of it, again, key on the fact that he decided to make Nogi a thing, and, or was that just... You know, I don't... Like, I feel, and I didn't mean to cut you off. I feel like I, when I first started jujitsu, I mean, we were only gi. That was mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And I remember four or five years later when he's like, hey, um... We're going to do some no game. And at the time, that's I'd really only heard of it from, like, 10th Planet. Yeah. And and it felt like some of the upper belts that I trained with were almost resentful, like, we do gi. We're yeah. not doing no gi. That's not real that, jujitsu. That came down from know? Carlinos, really. Uh, he, when the Brazilians came here, they oh, this is an unpopular idea, but it's just what history is. Um, Carlinos Gracie came, and his he and his brother – um, they start. They wanted to start. Well, it was years later. Carlinos came here and he he brought Gracie Baja to America. Gracie Baja is like Gracie on the beach is mm-hmm. what it means in, in, in Portuguese. Yeah, and so he brings that brand to America, and Henzo and he moves it to California. Henzo goes to New York City, and starts out Henzo Gracie Jiu Jitsu Academy. His cousin sues him for using the Gracie name. Right, that's how much they want to control, right? And so yeah. they want to say that our way is the right way. This is pure water, and there's nothing else that's good, type of thing. And so, how do you keep control of that? Is you keep control over the specialty of what you're doing, and 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 in a lot of ways, that was gi jujitsu, which is a wonderful thing and offers a lot of technical aspects and is a great place to begin in in ways that it slows things down and you can learn about leverage and movement and there's a lot of good reason to it. What Eddie's thing was is like I like no gi and I want to train guys for the UFC. I, I, he's a real UFC fan. And he goes, "Why would I train in a thing that isn't the thing that we're going to go sense. competing Absolutely. in?" Right, and so that's where he was coming from with it. And he got uh, 
for sure, a lot of hate from that. And uh, and Eddie is a a, a real significant um, chapter in American jiu-jitsu, in jiu-jitsu as a sport in the world. I mean, he's um, he's got a, a process for training and for teaching that is – um, regim- that's all, it's almost mathematical and, um, and it's beautiful. And if you put the reps in, you'll get success. And, and he's been, um, a real, uh, a, a fine mentor in a lot of ways and a good friend for years and years. And, and so he, he gave me a black belt in, in, um, in 10th planet jujitsu, got a black belt in Gracie jujitsu because strangely enough, another instructor of mine that when I was a blue belt came to live with me for a couple of years, his name's Hanato Migliaccio. And Hanato was one of the four students that High and Gracie gave a black belt to before High and died, and so um, from from both sides of of <laughs> of that, uh, I have a black belt. Just bookends, man. That's, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Have you been blown away? What you know? I I took some years off, and I've been going consistently now for about a year and a half. But I had a good two three year break in there. Mm-hmm. I was blown away at how much the sport has evolved yeah. since. Like I learned full guard, half guard, side control. You know, yep. it was like. This to this to this. Now there's Z guard, Delahiva, reverse Delahiva, K guard. All the, I mean, yeah. work, name it. And all, all the footlocks that have come in before in the early, when I started jujitsu, it was poor form to do a footlock. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was upper body it was, jiu-jitsu. It was considered like kicking somebody in the balls. It mm-hmm. was considered like like cheating. And and then and that was the same hate that Eddie got. Mm-hmm. Same guys are like, well, this is and because and why. And he was creating because, cool because, electric chairs. Because even in jujitsu, the ego can get so big when I get comfortable and I don't push myself into new territories that I think I possess something or I want to hold on instead of being open to learning. And so this idea that I have a preconceived idea before I go in, before I come to this conversation, before I go anywhere, I want to have more questions than answers. You know what I mean? Because I don't know where the conversation goes. And if I don't have questions, how am I to learn anything new? Mm-hmm. And so that becomes kind of the that that's that stunted those guys in jujitsu in that way of like well, we don't want to learn this and then young guys that are like white belts and blue belts are like dude I can throw a heel hook like this yeah and then they're tapping black belts well do black belts like that they do right? not and so they're like that's dangerous that mm-hmm. became a big we're not thing. doing that all that yeah. kind of stuff and so it's it has had mad involvement and I mean and now you can't talk about the evolution of jujitsu without mentioning like Gordon Ryan and and uh, and uh, and Donaher, mm-hmm. I mean, John Donaher has really changed the game of jiu-jitsu um, through the manifestation of Gordon Ryan in, in a lot of ways, man. It's Those been, systems it's been he in, puts insane. together and stuff, it's it's really on another level. And I am I feel blessed that my coach, Jordan Hawley, that he embraces a lot of that. And, and, I mean, he, as white belts, he's teaching us. I mean, we're doing full-body jiu-jitsu, the leg yep. locks, all of it. And, yep. and, and, it, and again, it was a bit overwhelming when I came back. I was like, what is all this stuff? But you're right. If, you, if you're not growing and you're not changing yeah. and you're not adapting, then you're dying. Well, and a, now a lot of the new black belts that are teaching that have schools are guys that came up with footlocks because it's after the time that I'm talking about. Yes, like sir. Like, that's how long. I mean, it's been growing like that and exponentially. And beautifully. I think it grows beautiful people. It grows people with a different kind of consciousness. And look at, you know, look at some of the doors that, that training has opened for you. You know, from, everything. from being young it's dudes everything. to let's go stick fight to, yep. you know, now you're in Disney works and, and, and all of this. Yeah. How does, so first I got to ask about the experience on the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah. That seems like one of those things when it's over, you're like, yeah, that was cool. Or it seems like that'd be a tough deal living with all those guys, like doing all that. Or was it just like a college type thing? Like, did you enjoy that experience or was it, it like, was, uh, it was a privilege to be able to do it. And I'm always grateful to Dana white. 
Um, you know, people got a lot of grousing about different people and whatever, but like he gave the opportunity for thousands of young men, thousands now at this point, to be able to go and realize their dreams and manifest a thing that would have never occurred without him. And uh, that's fantastic. And he, I mean, you know, how, how can you be mad at a guy that uh, puts bread on the table of so many people? And, and he really does. If you look downstream about, like, what he's done, I mean, whether it's even jiu-jitsu schools that are open, they can thank Dana White because yeah. he popularized that sport. You know, uh, Carlino's Gracie should send him a thank you letter because he popularized, he helped popularize mm -hmm. that sport. And and that's just the truth. Um, you know, for me, I, I mean, what does it do? I think, it, you know, we, we grew up in the time when um, – how do you how how do things matter when it's so easy? You got to make struggle for your own, and so how do I learn discipline? I've got to put myself in places where I must be disciplined or I'm crushed. How, how do I create consistency? How do I learn the value of that by not going and by getting crushed by a guy I used to dominate? <sighs> don't do that. How do I learn the value of commitment? You know, uh, oh, I learn how to commit to a shot. If I don't commit to the double leg, I can teach you distance. I can teach you level change. I can teach you, but if I can't give you commitment, mm -hmm. you, you can only give yourself that. You know, and then it dawns on you in your life. You're like, wow, okay, so these skills that I set up, if I get mastery at a certain skill set, that's a transferable skill. Mm -hmm. And then you start thinking, well, why do I have relationship problems? Why do I have problems at work? Oh, am I, am I committed to work? Mm -hmm. If I'm not committed to work, how do I expect to get a good result? If I'm not committed to my woman, how do I expect to get good results? Mm -hmm. Like, And so it starts to be everywhere, and you get these things to dawn on you, and it, it makes you an all-around better person, I think, and... And, and maybe you're obtuse for not thinking it in the first place that you ought to be committed to work, but it's like a lot of us aren't, and we're going from spot to spot. It wasn't until I started to think I was working in a bar, and I go, man, the only way, I, and I needed money. Mm -hmm. The only way I'm going to get more money, I, I need to make my boss money. If I don't make her business better, well, how am I going to thrive off of that? Mm -hmm. And so you start to get into this idea about um, you know spiritual principles, like a law of re reciprocity. Most people say, you know, Hey, once I get mine, I'll help others. I win the lottery, man. I'm going to be helping the homeless or whatever the thing is. And a friend of mine says, no, man, you got to twist it. He's like, you got to be helpful, and then you'll get yours. If you're not continually emptying your cup, how do you expect to receive? There's no room for it. Your ego's too filled up on what you are. And so in this idea about, like, look to help where you can help with what you got to help, it changes the perspective of life and your life starts to grow in it. My life started to grow in a different way. And so those are all the things. I mean, that's shit that fighting gave me. Mm -hmm. You know, which sounds mm -hmm. crazy when I say, oh, people go into the gym and it's about arm bars or it's about lifting weight. No, man, there's a whole nother thing that happens if you stick around, you know. A friend of mine was telling me about meditation. He's trying to get me into about 30 years ago. And I go, well, what man? And I, so I look into it, you know. And when you looked into something 30 years ago, you had to look into it in books, which a lot of you people don't know, but there'll be written words on paper. It's really yeah, outdated. It's a crazy thing they used to do. But, uh, um, you know, and I'd say, well, there's walking meditation. There's, there's, uh, there's bowl meditation. There's sitting meditation. What, what do I do? And he goes, you're dying of thirst, Tate. And you're in the desert. And you got a hole that says walking meditation, transcendental meditation, uh, singing meditation. All these different places to dig. And you dig a little here, and then you get bored because you got a, a child's mind that wants novelty, mm -hmm. no discipline. And so then you dig over here. You're going to stay thirsty forever. And you dig in one spot, and you'll get to the same aquifer. And maybe you'll have an idea of what all these other things are in a deeper way than you could if you didn't stay the course here. So that idea, like picking something, following through with it, and staying the course became a huge thing. And that, for me, was jujitsu. That, for me, goes right into film. Right? How does that work? Well, I'm working at a bar, and I'm working at the bar. Why? 
because I can work at night and I can train in the daytime and all my guys train in the daytime. So I got to train in the daytime. So I work this bar, which I'm not interested in. I'm going to go and I'm going to make, you know, 80 or a hundred dollars to go and maybe potentially get stabbed or beaten up by the biker gang that comes right. in because there's three of us here and they come 30 deep or mm -hmm. whatever the thing yep. is. Right. And so, but that's what I'm doing. And, um, and then I get a call at the front door and one of my guys says, Hey, take come up and it's master P and all his guys. And they go, hey, we need some big white boys for this prison film we're doing out here. And so I get a SAG card there. At that time, uh, a guy um, that's running all the action on that show, he was a Brand X guy. Mm -hmm. And he goes, uh, he goes, hey, uh, um, you ought to come out after I worked with him for a month. He says, you should come out and live at my guest house, dude. I fucking got a place in Woodland Hills. It would be great for you. And I said, dude. Thanks a lot. That seems ridiculous. I'm going to go be in the movies. I only got to work this one job right now. I'm doing this wrestling thing. Thanks a lot. I just stayed the course because I picked what I wanted to get good mm -hmm. at. This is my course of self-development is how do I get attuned with my body in a way that I didn't know. And, and the grappling was teaching me how to feed myself, how to nourish myself with vitamins, how sunlight was important. It was teaching me how to be a healthy organism in this biology of earth that nobody's told me about before. Mm -hmm. They tell me to eat 12 to 14 servings of grains a day. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm learning about myself in a different way. And I said, thanks a lot. It sounds like a pipe dream for a kid from Michigan. I'm not, yeah. you know, and, uh, and his name was Keith Willard. And then, so then I run this course for nine, 10 years. And then I, you know, had a gym. I, I was giving it away to kids that were coming behind me. And, and um, this guy comes in, he's an X Games athlete. And he was in Brand X, too. And he was running a show in Santa Fe. And I oh, cool, man. Oh, I did this thing one time. And, and he, there were 30 people in Brand X at that time. And Keith and Darren were two of the, he's like, oh, that's one of my bros from. So anyways, and then I start working for him on Equalizer, on Sicario. Like, so all these years later, I come back into his life. How did fighting do that? It's like, it's all. Everything that I'd done will be, and so anything I would say to a kid to not get too convoluted is that follow what you love mm -hmm. and do that thing until you get really pro proficient at it. And that thing will lead to the next thing. You don't have to worry about how to design your life, in my opinion. I mean, a lot of guys do. It's like, I thought I was going to be a psychologist or a lawyer, but I ended up being a junkie and a drunk for the whole first part of my life, right? Mm -hmm. And so when that turns, it's like, what is it to be now? Well, you, you better be happy. God would want you to be happy. Mm -hmm. If there's a God, he wants you to be happy. What, what is it that makes you passionate about life? Mm -hmm. and, and when I found jujitsu, I'd start dreaming about it. It was that. So it was easy for me. I follow that road. You know, that thing leads in the next thing. Sure, I'll be in a movie. I'm not going to really do it. I mean, I'll just do it, do it this once. And then I get into it and I'm bodyguarding and it's the end of my fighting. And I'm like, well, what's next? Well, I better just go all into this. And all I know how to do is just like I did with the fighting, throw my hat over the fence and, and figure it out. Mm -hmm. You got to go get your hat now. And that becomes the thing. And, and, and uh, all of that stuff, I think when you follow your passions like that, you're taken care of by the universe. It's like mm -hmm. being held in the hand of God. And you get to walk through life in a different way as long as you're open. And, and inside of that, always looking to be helpful to other people, I think is an important part of that. It's like, you know, you build the part of your life that how can I feed myself? And then, okay, now how can I be a service to others? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because what's richer than that in your life? You know, I, I got a group of guys that I help back home right now and I love to go travel. I love to go to work. I love to film stuff. I love all that. But man, I'd rather be with my dudes. Mm -hmm. You know what absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you said something, you know, you said if I, if I had to tell somebody younger or a kid or what have you, you know, you would inspire them, and and there's there's something to that because like I I think I told you previously when I was in high school, you know, I was getting ready to graduate. Yeah. My guidance counselor calls me and says, "Caleb, what do you want to do for a living?" And I said, "I'd like to be an actor," because I was in th high school theater, all that kind of stuff. 
And she looked at me about half smirked and said, that's not realistic. What else would you like to do? And so I took that dream and I closed that chapter. I put it yeah. back in a, in a shelf and I closed that drawer and, and that was it, you know, and I, I just kind of muddled my, well, maybe I'll try this and, yeah. and I'll try that. And those were passions that somebody else poured cold water on and I allowed it and I locked that away for a long time. And it, and I, I owe Chris, uh, Chris Pratt a debt of gratitude for this because when Jared and I went to go pick him up at the airport, we were driving back and we're sitting there talking and, and acting and following your dreams, all this stuff was brought up and he goes, well, why aren't you guys doing it? And I was like, well, I live in Victoria, Texas, you know, what am I going to do? I've got I'm, reasons. Yeah. I'm 30 something Which years are also old. known as excuses. Yeah. And, Which, and he, I mean, he let me finish. Yeah. And then he was like, exactly that. He's like, man, he goes, you live between two huge markets. There's San Antonio and Austin right here. He's like, you could go. And he told me about the site actors access. And he told, and he re-inspired me and, and about how he scammed the system to be an actor in the first dude, place. The guy, he's like, I mean, he's the million of what, like it's so crazy on a beach with his buddies hanging out and waiting. And it was like a rainforest cafe or something. So and they're crazy. like, Hey, you want to be in a movie? You know, they're and, like, you're an actor, aren't you? And he's lies and says, yes, you got to. And then he flies to sells his car flies to. And it couldn't have happened insane, to a better guy. Insane. Couldn't have happened to a better guy. An insane and, and story. I owe him a debt of gratitude because both him and Jared, you know, like yeah. he, he was kind to us when he didn't have to be. And, and he took extra time. And he's like, dude, write down these websites. Do this. Yeah. Do that. And he spent time feeding my passion and, yeah. and making me believe, like, you and know And people what? say you're too old. Yeah, and it's... And then I go, tell me tell me what uh, B. Arthur or somebody looked like as a young lady. Mm -hmm. You don't know. I mean, it's like, that's insane. There's and all kinds of characters in every bit of film everywhere. I, I was so... It was such a gift of belief in myself that he gave me back to reunite these passions that to this day, like I am an open, like, you know, I don't have the career he has, but what I do have, I'm happy to share that with others. Yeah. When, when somebody, a young kid is like, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in this. Well, you can do it. Yeah. Know that. Like, all I know is this. When I was a kid, you're wasting your life if you play video games. And now the highest paid athletes in the world are guys that are playing video games. I mean, I'm, and so I'm like, I don't know. Anything can happen. Things have changed. Whatever quick. you're interested in, mm -hmm. run after that. Yes. And, and that's, as I've gotten older, you know, I, I, I faced, I was always timid. The reason I was asking how you were when you were younger is because the difference between Jared and I in high school is I would give just enough to, to, passes what was called success but i would never fully lay it out on the line and give my all because i was afraid of failure and i was reserved and i i didn't want to lay it out there and i i had a real moment in my life where my stepdad like i had to pick i came to a y in the road and it was it was a clear choice of i could basically live with my tail between my legs and and always be that person or i could stand up and fight and and what it was it was in track and long and short as i'd always wanted to be on the mile relay I was a distance runner, two mile, mile, all that kind of stuff. My senior year, I wanted to be on the mile relay and I finally got on there and we had, to this day, we hold the state record on our mile relay. We were good. And we went to school after school after school on the weekends, we competed and we won and we won dominantly. And it was, it was great. Well, we get to regionals and we had won our district. It's regionals, the top 16 teams, and then you go to state. And long and short is the, the prelims race. We were the like fourth or fifth seeded team. I got the baton, I was third leg, it was raining, and I almost fell down and I took off real hard and I didn't run my race. And because of me, we if our anchored leg wasn't as awesome as he was, we would not have made it into the finals. And I was crushed and one of our alternates that was an alternate for the relay 
he was like, dude, get Caleb out of here. Let me run. Right, right. Let, put me in. <laughs> we'll go to state. We'll do all this. Yeah. And I heard it. And instead of saying, like, no, man, this is, like, whatever, I went off to the van, like, where our, my, my family's van was parked, and I had the, the poor me's. And I went in there, and I got in the van, and I started crying. I was like, let him take it. He can run it. I don't even want to do it. I, I, and my stepdad came up, and he's like, get out of that van. And I got out, and he grabbed me, and he put me up against the side of the road, and he's like, you have a choice in front of you right now he's like you have put in the work you have done everything you can choose your life to be a winner or you can choose right now to live scared for the rest of your life he's like what are you gonna do cool and man it it changed everything i looked at him i was like i'm a winner you know and it makes me emotional to this day and he goes look it's cool this is a pack track and he goes when you hear me yell he goes i'm gonna be out there somewhere i don't know where he goes but when you hear me you let it go and you run your race you run like you're capable of running leave it all out on the track and Brother, I came around that track, and as we're coming up into the final curve, the dude that had just ate me up in the prelims, he's coming up hot right behind me. And as we go into that curve, out of thousands of people, I hear my stepdad yell, go. It's your time. Go. And, brother, I did. You know, for the first time in my life, I let it go, and I and I so ran cool. my race. We won. We went to state. We ended up getting second in state. But all that is secondary to the fact that from that moment on, I had a brand new life in front of me where I was never scared again to be to hide in the van and let somebody else run the race for me because I still made dumb tons of dumb mistakes and all that. But he gave me that gift of self like, no, it's beautiful. I'll run this race. Yeah. And it was just it changed my whole life. And it was a trajectory that just it changed everything. And it was the power of somebody believing in me and then making me believe in myself and telling me. You can do this. And it was, I knew the power of that moment then. But as I've gotten older and seen more people fail because they didn't have confidence, seen people succeed because they did, all these things, yeah. I realized how special of a moment that was. And and that's why, like, I, I, I go on and I beat the dead horse over and over again about telling people, hey, I appreciate your kindness. I appreciate, yeah. because kindness changed my life. You know, yeah. my, my stepdad didn't have to love us. He chose to love us. You know, he did these things and he chose to invest in me. And because of that, I have confidence now to let's start a podcast. Let hell right, yeah, we can right. do it. You know, and 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 I may go hundred miles an hour and go right off a cliff, but you know what? We'll dust ourselves off at the bottom yeah. and we'll figure it out, you know. And I I guess that was a long way of piggybacking your point of of inspiring youth and inspiring people and 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 it's just you really can accomplish just about anything if you believe you can accomplish yeah. anything and, and, and go after it. And, and I just, it makes me sad that there's so many lost souls out there that will never, they will never walk onto the mats or they will never walk onto a track or they will never walk into a gym or anything. There's a to lot of people themselves. right now that want to say that if you, if something's hard in front of you, you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's, uh, it's almost, it's a cruelty. That, that folks do to there's being nice and there's being kind. Uh, nice is, is, uh, is, is, is going, Oh, you look, you look great. Oh, you really, you're ready for your date. You look really great. Kind is being, uh, dude, your fucking shit is crooked. And mm-hmm. you got, and let me straighten that out. Yeah. We got a booger hanging. Yeah. Let me, let me get you cleaned up. You know what I mean? Right. And, absolutely. And, 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 and maybe it's embarrassing at first to say somebody's got a booger hanging, but it's like that's, that's actually the real that's the real I mean? dude, and, yeah. And that and that you can I mean stretch that out in a thousand different ways. But um, this whole thing about I, I I care more about your development 
and your soul than I care about your feelings. And, and I think that that's a really important thing. And I think also it's an important thing to say truth. My friend wrote a book called Going Right. Uh, his name is Logan Gelbrich. And, and it talks about how doing the hard thing, walking into that decision is walking into your highest self. And, and the idea is that you can't lose. You know, um, I learned that, you know, you learn that in track and field, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm working to have proficiency at a high level here of competition. Without the competition, do you get that talk? No. Mm-hmm. Do you get to learn how to work hard? No. I mean, it's like, so all these things that are assets, that are skill transfers to the next parts of your life, they don't exist. If somebody says, oh, no, that's too hard, you're right. You should just sit home and have jelly mm-hmm. beans or whatever. In fighting, there's a thing that we say about, you know, are, are, you, uh, are you fighting to win or are you fighting to not lose? Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah, are, there are you, is a difference. Are you just trying to survive? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't get beat that badly? Or, or what, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Now, everybody can understand that psychologically, but if I don't know the cost of that, Maybe I never change the behavior. And here's what the cost is. Here's what the downside is, is that I don't grow in the way that I could grow had I thrown it all out there. Mm-hmm. And if I go, and there's something in, in combat sports we call the rub, and I'm sure it happens in basketball. I'm sure it happens in every sport that's there. If I go against higher, more skilled competition than me, regardless of what happens, if I throw my all into it, I'm going to get better exponentially mm-hmm. for that experience. People that were on my level before will not be any longer, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. Absolutely. If, I, if I go to not lose, I might get a little bit appreciably better, but not much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, I'm not, I'm, and so it does me a disservice to not try as hard as I can mm-hmm. when it counts. You know, I ought to try as hard as I can if I'm interested in being better. And if I'm not interested in being better, cool, but let's stop the story about I wish I was better. I mean, a lot of people say I don't want to try because I have a, um, I'm a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And my friend Logan would say, show me something perfect you did. Mm-hmm. You know, because this whole thing, this whole life of ours is a beta test. And what does that mean? What's a beta test? What's the test that like our phones use before they know that they give us tumors in 20 years from now that we see the pictures of or whatever, or whatever the thing is, right? Mm -hmm. Our beta test is the thing that we find out why it's flawed later on, but we're going to put it in the market right now. So we have enough fish out there that we can see which ones die and which ones prosper, what the results are. We don't know until we put the beta test of lead paint in there that maybe we shouldn't use lead paint or asbestos or a vaccine or whatever the mm-hmm. thing is, right? Right, right. We, we don't know until we see downstream effects. And so we're in a beta test of all your movements. And so if I'm seeing what is best process for me to have the most um, uh, efficacy of my output, well, then I ought to try the hardest I can. It, it only makes sense. It doesn't make sense to not have stronger legs for tomorrow because tomorrow's coming. And, and, and so in that, there's nothing to lose. Maybe I lose the event that happens today, but this is a beta test to make me stronger for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So this almost doesn't matter. It's almost history in a way. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a, a thing that I can only have in the here and now. It's like, it's like somebody, my friend was saying, where's God exist? You know? Does it exist in the future, in the past? Just right now, right where your feet are at. It's the only place. And so if I'm caught up, you know, I was talking to somebody earlier today, and, and I said, you know, people say, oh, anxiety is being tripping about the future and depression's tripping about the past, which doesn't really ring right to me. But the way I think it is is, like, fear lives in the future, scared about the outcome of what might happen. Maybe I shouldn't try, da 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 And resentment lives in the past. I'm sentimentalizing something that happened in the past. I'm bringing it in the current state as if it's real. 
I can't let either of those go. Well, where am I in the middle? Mm-hmm. I'm a wa- I'm lost because I, I I don't allow myself to be in the present, and so like that becomes part of life. Is like, how do I deal with that fear? Just like your dad said, you go into it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's only one way to to. I mean, and the monster in my mind is way bigger than the one that I'm facing on the mat. It usually is. Oh, yep. You know, I mean, I got a guy who's having trouble with the IRS and he's like, oh, and he had all this fear about it because he hadn't paid in years and all that. And, and I said, well, right now we're talking about a phantom. Let's go ahead and call the IRS and let's find out what the number is. Mm-hmm. And then once we have a number, well, now there's a workable deal we can right. make and it's not scary anymore. But, you know, I think at a certain point, it's like what, what you found out. You, you literally can't shrink from life. Because eventually you're going to have to face everything anyway. Mm-hmm. And and uh, the way I can develop quicker is to just go and bite into it and go, yeah, it's hard. So what? Mm-hmm. Right on. It's hard. What an opportunity to get stronger. Right. And and if I can just flip my mindset to that, is that's the biggest advantage, I think. I couldn't agree more. And I, and I want to switch topics on you yeah. just a little bit because I know that something that you share and that my brother also shares is – brain treatment and yeah. and people with traumatic brain injuries because you've had it you know we'll get to yours in one second but my my brother you know he's a navy seal former navy seal sniper breacher and what they start they're they're just really starting to peel the surface and and, and figure out is how much brain damage a lot of these breachers have and a lot of these guys and and you know i've always ignorantly i used to think ptsd and this was pure news. I thought it was, it was something for, for soft people. A hundred percent. I know. Because anxiety too. You I know, thought. I was Air Force, yeah. so I, I wasn't kicking indoors, all these things. But but my brother is the strongest mental person I know on earth. And 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 to, I mean, also like not a spectator. No. He's on the front line of all the concussive things that are going on. And he's the first guy in the, like, he's all the all things. things. He's all and, the things. And, and I found out. When, when those guys came back from deployments and they had to bury their best friends and they had to, their, their chief was shot 27 times and, and all this stuff, they bottled all of that down and they shoved it way down in because they taught them how to train, they taught them how to fight, they taught them how to do all this. But these guys were all these alpha males that, that watch, you know, Jared told me one time, he's like, you know, we don't take glory in the killing. He's like, it's not that. He goes... But the hardest part is 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 watching our brothers die. He's like, I don't think we were meant to see not only see our friends die, but see them die violently, you know. And then to just continue the mission, finish it, and then pick up the next day and go right back to work, like it almost like it didn't happen, you know. And and I remember the first time Jared deployed, and and we held our breath the whole time he was gone, you know. And 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 he finally comes home, and I I remember my mom and I we drove his truck from Victoria all the way to to Virginia where he was stationed. And his best friend got cl- killed on their mission like two days before we, he was supposed to come home. The final mission, his best friend gets killed. Well, it starts popping up on the news. We don't know if it's Jared. We don't know who it is. Oh. We just know a Navy SEAL has been killed. And, and you know, we're all like, oh, my gosh. And, and then somehow, because technology's changed, but we either got an email or something. And it was like, hey, I'm safe. I'll be home, whatever. And I remember when I was first going to see Jared, I was so excited because – I could not wait to see the SEAL complex. I could not yeah. wait. Like, these dudes are just, yeah. they're studs. And I still look up to them to this day. And I, I was so excited to walk into the SEAL building to see their cages, to see see where the magic, like, yep. these are the guys, you know. And and even though he's a little brother, man, I hold him to this day. I hold him up here. And, and I'll, I'll never forget when we were pulling into the, the, the SEAL complex, there was Jared's vehicle and there was Clark's, his, his best friends right next to him that, that didn't come home. And I remember when I, 
just remember Jared holding that his his demeanor, and we walked in, and he's he's trying so hard because he knows his big brother's there, and he and he wants to. He knows how long I've waited to see all of this stuff, and and I see him trying to like hold it together for me. And I, what was supposed to be like the happiest day on earth, my heart just broke for him because I, I stood there and I saw him broken, you know, and I saw that he had just lost his friends, and I saw the 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 brotherhood that these guys had, and 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 he was just tucking it in, tucking it yeah. in, and and then later himself and other guys and all this stuff, it all comes out, and and. That was the first time I had where I was like, oh, man, there is this thing called PTSD. And if it can get Jared and he has to step up and battle it, it can get anybody. And I was ignorant yeah. to that, and I didn't know. And then, and I'm going to fast forward, and I'll shut up. But he, I remember a couple years after, he was sitting in his apartment, and and he calls, and he goes, man, I, I want to talk to you, Caleb. He, he here goes, in Victoria? Uh, he In Corpus at the time. And, and he had a place in Corpus, and, and he called, and he goes, I, I, I'm okay, but I want to let you know something. He goes, I... You, you see these 22 deaths a day, these suicides by veterans and all this. He goes, it's the brain, man. He goes, I was sitting here in my apartment, and he goes, just as clear as somebody sitting next to me, just this voice, basically, he goes, I was terrified to leave my own apartment. I'm this tough Navy SEAL yeah. sitting in there in the dark in his own apartment, and he was terrified, and, and, and there was just this thought. Just He's like, it was like a voice telling me, dude, kill yourself. Kill yourself, you know? And, and Jared's not... That guy, like, quitting is not an option for him. He will never quit. He will never, to the point that sometimes I wish you would, and it, but he won't. And But he called me. He's like, I'm not telling you this so you are in fear of for me and right. whatever. He goes, but we've got to help others, man. He's like, if I'm sitting here in my apartment and I was this much able to break out of that and snap out of that and realize that people are struggling with this, what is it going to do? What are people not there yeah. They're gonna they're gonna off themselves and it and it's gonna be this deal and for a while because of pride and other things and because what it'll do to your career and all that like he didn't want to step out and be like hey man I need some help yeah. my brain's messed up like yeah. something's wrong with my brain I need help and then he it was shortly after that phone call he was like bro I'm all in like let's go help people let's go and he started working with the Brain Treatment Foundation was he already and, out by that time yes sir yes yeah. sir he had yeah. just gotten out yeah. and and a lot of that they those dudes won't. You know, they are America's premier warriors. Yeah. And, you know, it. they're also young. A lot of times when they, when they, Jared sure. was in his young 20s, you know, he was a young kid. And, and, and it, but it, there was, I mean, you're, um, you can relate because you've been around killers your whole life. These, these big dudes, these strong guys. And, and they didn't know how to, to process that hurt. Yeah. And then the, the actual physical hurt to their brains. Yeah. And he had to go in on that. And here recently, you know, I, I heard and, and Jared told me that, that you had an accident and 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 then it was your brain and, and then it led to other stuff. And so if you wouldn't mind, I, I know that was a sure. super long no, build yeah, up, yeah, but, yeah. but I, I'm the I'm brain the stuff. Jared. Yeah. I mean, I, as far as like my desire to be helpful and uh, and if it's helpful, I want to talk about it. And so, um, you know, uh, they, they say, you know, there's a saying your, your darkest past can become your greatest ally in helping others. And so the things we survive can um, be really useful. Jared helped me a bunch, and he—I remember we were um, uh, we were in an acting uh, studio together, and uh, and he was doing these treatments at BrainTreatmentCenter.com, and doing MERT therapy was the name of it, which is shooting magnets in your head. And he's trying to explain to me what it was that that he did, and and it's a weird it's a weird thing. And so it's like somebody that doesn't—you're like, okay. And so the thing about brain injury is like 
you don't know to what degree you're suffering brain injury until it's almost too late. Mm -hmm. And so I was hurt on a movie. I, I was, uh, you know, but I'd had a concussive life. I've had a ton of head injuries. Um, what I know is that in long-term um, degradation of TBIs, uh, which is excessive concussions, traumatic brain injuries, the, the end result of that untreated is suicide. Um, because uh, what happened for me is you become a stranger in your own skin and you don't recognize yourself anymore. And then loved ones ask you how you're doing. And it, it's just what it is, but you feel like I'm living in a complaint mm -hmm. and I'm not this guy. And like, it's more um, evidence that you're not yourself and it's getting worse and you probably won't be again. And so what are you to do? Because now here I am uh, and I'm going to be a burden upon mm -hmm. everybody. And I, I, I certainly can't live with that. I've already been hard enough and da, 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 and you got to go. And I, I totally understand that mindset. I lived in that mindset for, um, for years. And the other thing that's really strange about it is that I didn't know is that um, when I was doing uh, some work with Rogan and we were traveling around and we went and we saw an Ultimate Fighter fight at one of the little casinos in Vegas, there's a dude that got knocked out and he was out for like six or seven minutes. It's a long time to watch somebody be unconscious, bleeding from their ears and their and their mouth, and you're like, what am I, what am I, what am I watching right now, right? Mm -hmm. And when we left, it was like it struck everybody, and and Joe was like, well, the crazy thing is, is you don't see the results. Um, the deleterious effects of brain injury until 10 or 15 years down the road. Mm -hmm. And, and I remembered that all the time. And I thought it was weird that he would say that. And, um, and when I was, you know, looking for a way out, um, I got to talk to my friend, uh, Dozer and, um, different Dozer than Ray Mendoza, but, uh, it's a dude there. Um, next week they're going to have a memorial for, um, he passed away this last year, but he called me and he's and it was like COVID times. He's like, so how you doing? And what's going on? And I told him, I said, you know, just not much. I riding around in my truck last night with Hank, my, my pup and, and, uh, my pistol looking for courage to shoot myself in the chest and just watching TV now going to get, get something to eat and what's going on with you. And, and I don't, don't, and we just hang up and I think it's just a casual conversation. It's just what's going on for me. It's how I've been thinking for the last mm -hmm. year and a half or whatever. And so, and every time I go and I try to get work again, it hurts me again. And, um, and I don't know who to call. And so 10 minutes later, uh, my friend Lisa texts me and she says, you got to call Shane, her husband. And, um, I said, all right. And I said, why, what's going on? Oh, he's at this brain clinic. I go, oh my God, is he okay? And she, <laughs> and she, she says, yeah, he's just there. His friend runs it. And, that, and I saw so I call and, and, uh, and he's really worried. And I go, why is everybody all concerned? Like, there's a disconnection that I'm even in trouble. Right. You're not even piecing it together. Probably that first phone call. Not at all. Off all you know, yeah. I only know Lisa because of Dozer. Mm -hmm. I don't even connect why they, I don't, I'm like, well, how odd that she called me also, mm -hmm. you know? And so anyway, that gets me into a, a treatment center um, where they do that same therapy to me, that MERT therapy. It's called braintreatmentcenter.com. They call it wave neuro. Also is a, another, they have an at-home product. I, I, I did that, and then, uh, you know, and it got me a little better. And then, like I said, it's like, you know, a couple steps forward, and you feel like you're slammed backwards sometimes. I went and I did um, an episode of 
uh, what was it, Magnum PI. And it was just a simple fight, but just head reactions. And I've found that even head reactions are brain injuries if you're already injured. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so then to put it in perspective of what a brain injury looks like, it's like for a guy like Jared, so you think of those Zodiacs going over the waves. Every time they land, that's in excess of what can cause a TBI. And so, and then you're shooting pistols. Then you shoot pistols indoors. Well, you know the difference of that. Mm-hmm. Like, so now you have, you're living under TBIs all day long. And, um, and so I ta- start talking to my friend, Kirk Parsley. And uh, Kirk, he has a product called the Sleep Remedy. And it's a thing that helps you sleep and get into deep REM sleep, which is the only place the brain can heal itself, really. And, and uh, Kirk is a Navy SEAL that then became a doctor through the Navy and he got interested in how come all these guys, their lab results were all, that their um, their uh, hormones were all shot, like it bottomed out. And he wasn't a hormone doctor, so they said, well, you can't give these guys hormones. So he starts looking into it, and he sees that they're all on Ambien. And he goes, well, I know they don't have an Ambien deficiency, so why, why can't mm-hmm. they sleep? They're, so they're not sleeping. They're taking a drug, like all these other drugs, that mimic sleep but don't give you any nourishment of sleep, right? So we have, you know, that problem. And he starts looking at how I can get these guys good sleep. So, and because they're becoming something other than themselves, mm-hmm. they're these high-end elite warriors that are becoming like lethargic, anxiety-filled, uh, uh, irritable. Like he's getting all these weird, and and that's what brain injury looks like. Brain injury looks like you have poor character, mm-hmm. right? It looks like you're, and and then you're like, wait, I'm a shitty person. You know what I mean? I mean, and you start piling on yourself. And so then what do most guys do? Take pills and drink. Mm-hmm. And so it exasperates any alcohol is pouring on a brain injury is like giving yourself another brain injury. But that's the answer that people have, especially in the military. Because as you were saying, mm-hmm. in the military, if I cop to a problem of a brain problem and I'm in charge of any men at all, they take me away. Because mm-hmm. if something happens later and they say, well, that guy had depression, though, and it's on the paper here. That, so he loses his job. He doesn't get to go exactly. and be with his brothers anymore. And so we have a whole system that's set up to not to actively keep you disengaged from helping mm-hmm. yourself. Because, yeah, well, we would have given him help if he came. Well, the, you know you the know system is set up to not allow that. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and, you know, football uh, also, I mean, it's like they just, I think in 2015 or something, admitted that it might cause head injuries. And, and, but they still, I mean, it's like, it's it's bizarre. And and then you see the whole front line of the San Diego, the San Diego Chargers kill themselves after they win the Super Bowl or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. well, what's going, nobody's asking what's going on. Yeah. You know, and so you got 22 guys a day. I, I would I would offer that they're not, it's not the horrors of war that they saw. It's that when they're all in a steel truck and it hits an IED and it blows up, that they're, they're all concussed and they're mm-hmm. all damaged in a way that doesn't show itself till years down the line. So these things are all the things we're up against. And so, um, uh, you know, Kirk helped me a bunch with different um, uh, peptides, with different sleep protocols, with uh, saying to get, you know, part of the wavelength therapy of shooting magnets in my head was be out in the sunlight uh, between 7 and 11 in the morning for as much as you can. That that helps reset your body a lot. And it's getting in the natural rhythms of your body again. And, and there's a long, like a three-year waiting period where I sobbed every day and I'm, I'm just crying into the carpet mm-hmm. and I got a dog on my lap. You know what I mean? And I sat like that for a couple of years. And I don't really feel like, and this was 2019, I don't feel like I got like better until maybe six months ago mm-hmm. or something, right? Which is wild. And, and the other thing that I'll say too is that after I started getting better, it showed me how long I'd been hurt. I had no idea how long I'd been hurt until I started getting better. I go, oh, my God. 
And so I got a lot of different love and nurturing for myself than I ever had. All I ever did was put my head down and run into the wall at life. Like, right. let's go. And, uh, and I have a, you know, and I don't, I don't begrudge myself any of the knocks, but I'm glad that I'm in a different ear and I got a different chance. And so now I, you know, put out a call to guys that, you know, the Vince McMahons, the Dana Whites, the, uh, uh, the um, National Football League, like hockey, like these people, we need to have brain protocols in place for the longevity of the athletes and also for understanding of what's going to happen later. Because it's not if you get a head injury. If you're in soccer, you're going to get a head injury. Mm-hmm. You're, any of these things, you are going to be in a head injury position. And whether that just takes away from, you know, you got mild depression in the afternoon or you get tired before, it's going to take away from your family. As years go by, it'll get more pronounced. And those of us with deeper cases, you're going to eat a pistol eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my friends down at Chipsa Hospital, they started a stem cell lab down there in Tijuana. And they've been tremendously helpful. And uh, hyperbaric chambers can help a ton. Um, there's another group that I, I got to go to one of their fundraisers and it's a, a group that's made up by a, a bunch of seals and it's called vets and it's veterans exploring treatment solutions. And they have uh, ambio sciences, I believe is their name on Instagram, but, um, they go down and they take guys down and they give them a, a, a plant medicine called Iboga and it, it transforms the brain and the Stanford just did a bunch of studies on it and shows guys the week before they go and the damage on their brains that they can do with, uh, CAT scans and MRIs, and then they go down, they come back uh, two weeks later, do another, and they, they're all remarkably healed. And so there's things that are out there that aren't, of course, FDA, like all, all the things. You know, I got hurt on a huge Disney film, and um, I didn't get any money for, I mean, and not that I'm looking for money. What I mean to say is um, there's no help from insurance. They send me to a doctor. That doctor says to me in, in Western medicine, they say, Take fish oil, and if you're not better in eight months, come back and we'll give you Alzheimer's medicine. And I go, you know, you're telling me to kill myself. Mm-hmm. And I said, what about hyperbarics? What about stem cells? What? About and they go, we don't do that. Yeah. And so that's not what they're prescribing. So I said, but as a healer, you're not curious, you know? And she's like, I'll see you later. Call me if you need me. And I was like, I need you. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, and I so you when I walked in here. You're really on your own if you're in these fields. But um, those are some resources that uh, you know if. if somebody or their loved one is afflicted um, that they can go and, and look towards. And, and again, I'll say it's like not resources that I'd have looked at had I not been um, deeply afflicted. Um, but when you're ready to die, you'll do anything to get better. And I'm really glad that, that those things ended up because for me, it was going to be a win either way. Mm-hmm. I go into these things and I go, maybe it kills me. That'd be fine. That'd be better than the, and, and if it makes were. me better, that's good too. Like I, I people, because people are like, well, what are your intentions or your expectations? And I'm like, well, either this or that. Either way is good. I'm, I'm, I'm really reconciled with whatever it is that happens. And, and, uh, and if you feel like that, there might be help for you. You know, I, I, I hate to ever give any like advice, like, oh, you ought to do X, Y, and Z. But like, you know, folks are dying, man, and and they don't need to, and we can start new conversations. And for sure, if you're the NFL or WWE or UFC or anything like that, you have money at your headquarters where you know you have you study guys as athletes, you, you mm-hmm. study punching power and, and movement dynamics. You can easily have a branch of your stuff that has MERT machines, that has hyperbaric chambers, that has stem cells that you offer these guys. Um, you need to normalize that exactly. Yeah, and, exactly. I, and that's why I thank guys like you and my brother that. 
that normalization needs to happen be, so we know that it's okay and it doesn't mean something well there is something wrong I with it okay to get help for two and a half years on my couch big blubbering snot like i mean it's like you're i was fractured man i yeah. never felt so vulnerable i was scared to go into the whole foods I, I couldn't drive for six months when I did drive and I went up to, okay, I'm going to be a big boy and I'm going to, you push everybody away because mm -hmm. you're like, well, I can't feed myself. So anybody that loves me, I push away. Right. Like that's one of the things that happens too. And then you go, okay, well, I got to go to the store. This is reasonable. You you know, what, what are you doing? You could go to the store. You can't go to the store. And I, I go in and, and, and I pull deeper. into the yeah. parking lot and then I wait and I start sobbing again and I drive away. And then, you know, maybe I go the next week and try again. And then I'll walk up to the door and those ladies in there look aggressive as anything with all those carts. There. And I go, I can't do this. And, this. You know, and it took me uh, about a month of trying to be able to go to the grocery store. So it's like, so this idea about weakness or strength or whatever, it's like, um, you know, I'm not into fragilizing people or, or, or telling people not to push into tough stuff. But there's stuff that happens that fractures our very souls in a way where, for me, I couldn't show up. It was like the container with which I held myself to go through life with was shattered. And I was as vulnerable as an embryo in, in utero, I mean, is mm -hmm. what it felt like. So what my, my, my thing I'd like to leave people with is that, that what I thought was the end game was just the beginning, right? And I'd heard that from a lot of friend of mine. He, uh, you know, he got in trouble. He got hospitalized like 25 years ago. And when they went in there... Um, and, and he, he's, they said, you've got to take an HIV test. You know, you're a homosexual man, and we need, you're going to be in this uh, community. And, and he goes, I don't want to do that. And he took it, and he, uh, and he popped positive for HIV, you know. And, um, and I was just coming out of, like, being able to be in public again, like, with this brain injury when he told me the story. And, and I go, isn't that amazing? Because now I know him 30 years, right? And his life is beautiful, but when he got that news, that was a death sentence. Absolutely. Your life is over. Yep. You know, and I'm like, man, I felt like that too. And and I go, maybe me too. Maybe, may, you know, maybe this could be a beginning mm -hmm. for me too. And um, and and that's I think what it's been. And now instead of being afraid that the other shoe is going to drop or that it's going to get worse, you know, I've got hopes and uh, eagerness for what happens tomorrow. You know. Yes, sir. And yes, sir. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I thank you guys yeah. for that because again, I I I know that there's a lot of hurting people out there that just need that to know, Hey man, there there's, you can do this, yeah. you know, and seek that help. It doesn't make you, the older I get, the softer I get. It's weird. <laughs> like, you know, I, I'm sitting here, iron sharpens iron. I'm trying to do all these things, yeah. but I've started just wearing my heart right here. I'm a yeah. like, if I love you, I love you, yeah. man. What can I do for you? And, and all these pretenses of being tough and strong. And I mean, I do for my fan. I want to be truly sure, tough and truly strong, but not, strong to the world like where they think i'm strong like i i, I want to be genuine and real and sometimes strength is kindness and and being softer to others and and not you know pounding the chest all the time if we and, understood each other would there be any trouble you know what i mean yeah. if i sought to understand you right instead of going no you need to understand yeah, you're me. not doing if, it right. if i thought of it in a way that was selfless and i go no no i'm curious about how is it that you feel that way there's nothing between us anymore and, and all that is like, I remember uh, there's a quote Albert Einstein says, he goes, the deepest delusion that humanity has is that there's more than one of us. Hmm. Meaning, you know, this illusion of separation, mm -hmm. like we're not all part of a whole. Like I'm not a Christian, but I think about it like the way I hear about Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And I go, well, what is that Holy Spirit? Maybe that's that energetic cord that runs through us all that makes us all one whole union of God. 
Maybe that's what that is. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. deeper than you think, Tate. Be open to whatever a new answer might be. Yes, sir. And, uh, and, and so I think there's something in that. You know, you talked about this at the beginning saying um, about me being kind or something like that. But it's like, you know, uh, uh, somebody says, oh, you're gentle. And uh, a guy says, yeah, it took a lot of violence to get this gentle, right? It's like, it, 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 it's, it's that. It's like, where does that get you? Yeah, it's cool to be skilled. It's cool to have efficacy in, 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 in all these different realms and have mastery over yourself. But what's really cool is to make people feel comfortable enough when they're in your space that they could do that too or that it's okay or that they're safe because maybe they're not strong yet because we're all in different eras of growing in our life. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, maybe not strong yet, but maybe he's going to be a savage in 30 years and you're going to need him, Tate. Yes, sir. You know, we're all the same man. Yes, we're all sir. the same human here. Yes, sir. So something like that, I think. Nah, dude, solid. I'd like to, I want to wrap this by yeah. asking your version of a story that it I greatly enjoy. Um, I heard on Rogan a while back where that, you know already where I'm going to go, but I, I haven't heard your version of what I'm about to ask yeah. you. I've heard the story of you guys coming down a hotel and a rather large drunk guy and his buddies really deciding to, to get y'all's attention. And just, I had a friend like that, that he was the only guy in the group that could actually fight back in the day. But he always kept his head down. He never looked at it. But somehow he just attracted violence. Yeah. And I don't know why. Everybody always wanted to fight him. And I'm like, dude, fight me. I'm the one that can't fight. Like, right. But but he just attracted violence. Even if uh -huh. I was drunk and didn't know you guys, I feel like if I saw you, Joe Rogan, who was it, Eddie Bravo, yeah. all coming down a hallway, it's probably not the crew I would want to fight. Yeah. But they tell a very funny story of this, and I would just like to close by hearing your version of how that story went, because you're definitely the hero in, your, in their story, but it's also the, so the fun nice. story. They're so, so kind. Yeah, they, they, they tell it very well. And so I, I just kind of wanted, I've always wondered your I never saw Joe so excited. He got, I, after his this passion happened, talking about this is hilarious. He, he ran right to his hotel room <laughs> after this and jumped on. There was a thing called the underground back in the day, and it was like a... You know, okay, because you were talking about fighting earlier. And, like, so there was the dark times, I think, from 97 to 2001 or something for the UFC. There was nothing. And so there was little webzines and stuff that you could go to to read about what happened at Grappler's Quest or what happened at the Mundials or at the Pan Americans or something like that. Or here's here's the listings. There was a, there was a newspaper called uh, Full Contact Fighter that came out of the Midwest. They would have different regional fights that would, you know, Travis Fulton defeats Jeremy Horn or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, it's... Um, Anyways, so it was like, if you were a fan, you got your news in different ways. The only grappling magazine that was out there was back in the day when there was magazines was Black Belt Magazine. Once every uh, four months, they'd put a grappling magazine together. And so it was just starting to get popularized then. So the internet was how people interacted. So Joe goes right after this happens, and he gets on the underground, and he writes up what happened. And so we get out of a hotel. We're up on, I don't know, you know, the whatever, fifth floor, whatever, the Hard Rock Hotel in Vegas. We're out there for fights, and um, we get out of, the hotel, uh, out of the elevator. And the elevator, you know, if you turn right, that's a window that goes down, you know, 60 feet or whatever. And then this way it goes into a T, and the, the rooms all go one way or another. And my room was right off the elevator. And then Joe had an adjoining room right next to mine. And so we're going to get in there, and there's two guys at my door. And they're getting the, and they're and the guy, one guy's cussing the other guy and and the guy is legitimately six seven or six eight and probably three hundred pounds. He's a real big dude. He looks like uh, I don't know, 
like Triple H or some wrestler or something build, but huge. But that you know that's a small guy comparatively. Anyways, um, and I think somebody animated this. I haven't seen it, but somebody. Oh, I haven't saw seen it. Now I will look yeah. for that. Yes, absolutely. And uh, <laughs> and so then I I go, hey, let me try. And I put my card in, and it works. And I go, see that? I told you I think you got the wrong room. And I went into my room. And Joe and Eddie go into Joe's room. And um, and then I, by the time I empty, throw my wallet on the bed and, and uh, throw my key down and take my jacket off, I hear, and it's like the sound of somebody booting the bottom of the door, you know, where the door flexes. And I go, what? what is this? And so... I go right away to the door, and as my hands on the door, Joe and Eddie are at the adjoining door, and they're like, "What the?" Fuck? I go, "I don't know," and I open the door, and they're those guys have retreated. They're kind of in the middle of that foyer that's by the elevator bank, and I go, "Are you guys all right? Like, what's going on?" And and he says, he calls me everything but Tate, and uh, I go, "Cool, man. Have a good day. You know, you'll be at the event sevenfold concert later, and you'll have a nice time. Just see you later." And and I said, "Or or or you get." Or you have a different result if you stay, right? And uh, and and he's more, you know, fuck you, da 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 da. And uh, and his friends like, come on, let's just go, let's just go, let's just go. And by that time, I'm out. Eddie's over here on my left, and Joe's on my right. And our rooms are behind us, and that window's between, you know, right after them. And the guy says, no, fuck you. And he grabs his friend and he shoves him, and his friend goes flying backwards, like he loses his feet, he lands inside the elevator. And uh, and so he cried, and I go, all right, and um, and he's you know saying here, here, da 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 da, and uh, and I and I'm just, I think it's maybe the first or second job I was working as a bodyguard for Joe, and my thing was whenever I'd work for somebody, he's like, I don't want to catch them a lawsuit. That's all right, that's in my mind. Yep. Uh, you know, that's why I'm for it, so so yeah. grateful for jujitsu in a lot of ways because you can control somebody else's body and nobody has to get hurt. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm like, okay, what am I? And I'm just. You know, my computer's going in my head of, like, what am I going to do? Am I going to blow this guy's mouth out? Do I, you know, do I front kick him? And what, what, what's going to happen? What's my first movement? And how's he going to move? And what are his choices here in this hallway, in this area? And I'm thinking I don't want to hit a double leg because my wrestling's not that good. And I, I don't know if I take him right through that window. And, uh, and so um, I've been... I've been all week or all month. I've been just practicing. You know, I'm a big rep guy, and so like I, I was just rep, do, pulling like a like a flying Oma Plata, and so all, all. But I've been doing that all month, and it was my go-to thing. And so like my muscle memory is there for that, and uh, and Eddie is kind of an instigator a little bit, <laughs> and um, and he says, "Well, you keep calling Tate a pussy, but you keep backing up." What's up? <laughs> Just let me throw a log on this fire real quick. And I go, I guess the leash is off. I guess that's, you know. Uh, and so he's like, yeah. And he starts, he takes a couple steps towards me. And when he's in distance, I take a deep step in and I leg kick him with my right leg. And and he goes down and it opens that side up. And I jump into it and I almost plot him and I've got him face down in the carpet. And I'm like, well, now why don't you just relax? You know, I told you, you can go home this way or that way. Like, and, and Oma Plata is like a shoulder lock with my legs. And for those that don't know, you can look it up. Um, and, uh, and then I'm looking at the ground, too, because that's the position I'm in. And I see these, you know, security guard shoes walk up. You can tell, you know, the polyester the, the, pants the, and the, the shoes, polished, yep. right? And, and, and he goes, hey, what's going on here? And, and, uh, 
And Joe goes, just relax. And he in, in that way that Joe's got that big voice, just relax. It's going to be fine. This guy's ego's just out of control. He just needs to go to sleep. He's gonna, and it's going to be fine. He goes, oh, my God, you're Joe Rogan. And this is all, I'm just hearing this. I don't see what's happening at all. But all I hear is, like, I'm coached. I'm an athlete that is, I'm coached. And I hear, put him to sleep. You know, and I'm not in a position to do that. So I take, I, I, I change positions and I get him in a rear naked choke and I squeeze him out. And so he's there drooling on the carpet and, and the guy is going, oh my God. And he knows Joe from Fear Factor because we're not famous for anything else yet. Right. Right. And, uh, and I go, well, I'm either going to be in handcuffs or I'm going to be in my room. So I'm just going to go right to my room. And so it all dispersed and I went to my room. Joe and Eddie went to his room. Those guys left our lives forever. Don't know what happened. Never heard from him again. You know, and that- it's weird that now Joe's got like this big podcast. It's like that guy has that one of those guys has to know. Yeah. One know? of these days, I, I would sit up and be like, enough time has to have passed where you're like, hey, I was the dummy in the hall. Like, I want to step up and own that at it's some amazing. point. Like, that was me that got my ass kicked out there and stuff. It's so, so funny. Thank you for telling that. I, yeah. I've laughed at that story. I've, I've heard Joe tell it several times, and I've laughed every single yeah. time because I roll with guys that are just – they wait for opportunities like that sometimes. And, and you sure. know, and so I, I, it was funny to hear. And, and, and thank you for, for telling your version. I had this entire list of stuff that <laughs> I didn't ask you. I don't think a single question we'll I do had it next on time. Here. We will. And, and I just want to say again, thank you, man. You, yeah. you didn't have to do this. You didn't have to. I don't even know how long we talked. It went real fast. But, brother, I appreciate it. That's what and I was saying before, right? Is that like we go in without expectations? We have a conversation. Who knows what? what uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't cover a single thing I yeah. wanted to, but I enjoyed this. And same, it was another chance to show who you are. And so, thank you, brother. Thanks I, for having I me. I appreciate man. it. Thank and uh, um, shout out to my my brother Jared. He's out there doing uh, working on terminal list. I appreciate that he introduced me to you. Uh, it, it was a real blessing, man. And and I look yeah. forward to seeing you not only prosper in your career and continue, but these other journeys that we talked about of longevity, of mental health, of inspiring yeah, other, yeah, yeah. the older I get, the more important that those are. And so um, next time, man, I want to talk to Mandalorian, all that. There's so much. Big there. shout out to Victoria, Texas. I mean, where we are. Like, yeah, I didn't real, even mention, so yeah, you're here for Comic-Con. Yeah. You didn't have to. Yeah. You came here. Man, I know they're pumped. Everybody's waiting to see you. And again, thank you, man. Big things like this Thanks don't happen to Victoria. Happen. You know, well. She, I, she was I like, truly, if it hadn't I, have been for my, your brother, I don't think he, she said that you were so nice. And she goes, he was just the nicest guy. And it had to be because your brother or something, because he didn't have to do this for the reason he did. I'm here. Well, for sure. brother, thank you. Yeah. I, I, and it's a privilege, man. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm real glad I have such admiration for you, your family, your brother. Well, iron sharpens iron is all I can say. <laughs> and, and, and I, I can, I, I can't wait to just watch where this journey goes, man. I, and I'm, I'm very excited. Ooh, and I got yes, one yeah, more yeah, thing. No, talk to me real quick. So, so the other thing about transcendence and about like your path leading to the next path to the next path, like where your brother is starts out. I meet your brother on uh, Jurassic world. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's training Chris. And then he and Dozer are like weapon specialists, tacticians on the, on the film. Yes, sir. And so Keith Jardine and I go through training with them and we, we get close with Jared and, um, and, and life goes on and, and our paths cross and cross and cross. And, uh, and so the thing happens, I get hurt. Like, am I going to continue to, you know, uh, take falls and stunts and do the X, Y, and Z and, and what am I going to do and this and that. And then the next thing comes up and, and um and mando comes up and then i walk into mando this last season and i've got two different guys that are going to be stunt doubles for me which i was like god look what god did you know like Mm -hmm. over and over again but you show up the best of your ability and the next thing happens 
when I got hurt, Keith started writing. Because we'd talk about the only way you get agency in this business is if you create your own stuff. Yes, sir. Right? And so he starts writing. So we do a, a short two years ago. And um, and we film it. And he gets all sorts of awards at film festivals for this 20-minute 20, 20 deal. Well, just this last December before Christmas, we filmed a full feature called Killer Cafe, which will be out probably in October or something like that. But, like, then we got our next feature ready that now bigger names are looking like – and so there's that kind of thing. It's like you follow what you love, man, and where this path goes, I'm just so excited. And I'm in the midst of living it. You know what yes, I mean? Sir. And I'm just starting to notice it. But I'm seeing Jared do it. You see Keith do it. And you get this idea of like, yeah, man, I, I could do that. You know, I talk to these kids at these Comic-Cons, and they're like, <gasps> and they get these big eyes and get crazy about it. And I go, that's cool and everything. But this isn't special. It's no more special than what you got in you and that light in you. And you let that develop and you let that creativity flow. And whatever you want to happen can happen. Yes, sir. The only people it doesn't happen for are folks that quit. And so if you got stick to that thing will come to pass. You'll be the one in the room that can do it or you'll make your own thing. And uh, I've seen it again and again and again. I just know that's a universal truth. Yes, sir. So keep trying is all I can say. Perfect words to end on, brother. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, this is special times. We look forward to the next episodes. Big thanks to Tate Fletcher. Big thanks to my little brother for making this happen. Uh, Victoria Comic Con, he will be out there. Go check him out. Um, we'll see you at the next one. Thank you. Going hot.